0: All right, welcome everybody back to another installment of the Gopher Coffee Shop podcast. I'm Ryan Miller. And I'm Brad Carlson. And today we've got another first uh, guest here. We actually have Paul McDivitt, uh, who is a communications specialist uh, with Extension, uh, largely responsible for the communications efforts around nutrient management. An interesting podcast uh, we're doing today
1: because it's sort of a podcast about podcasts.
0: Yeah, you know, and usually uh, uh, Paul is on the other side of the, the kind of the table here. Coordinating and organizing these kind of things particularly some of the podcast uh, the nutrient management group has been putting together right and it's it's sort of uh, I, We're not necessarily co-branded, but uh, the gopher coffee
1: shop tends to show up uh, uh, Together with the nutrient management co- podcast uh, uh, As far as uh, how the university offers them, so I think a lot of our listeners probably uh, get both and so uh, We're glad to have the uh, voice behind the microphone today.
2: Yeah, thanks
0: for having me on yeah, and uh, and we really do appreciate Paul's efforts with the communications, as well as some of the co-promoting he does with the other things that are coming out on Crop News and some of our Gopher Coffee Shop podcasts. So, Paul, um, what led you into the position you're in now?
2: Yeah, so I've been here since uh, last February, so a little over a year. Um, and yeah, it's been been great so far. I started uh, I started kind of my career. Um, in kind of communications generally and kind of worked into science communications. I ended up doing a graduate degree at the University of Colorado, and they have kind of a science and environmental journalism program there. Um, And so that's kind of uh, how I got into uh, covering agriculture, kind of doing some freelance journalism, some uh, working with universities on science writing projects and video projects and things like that. And then I kind of uh, saw this job. I've been moved back to the Twin Cities, and I've been wanting to kind of get into the University of Minnesota system, and found this job, and it's been uh, it's been great so far. Well,
1: this is really kind of a fascinating time to be doing what you do for a career. You know, I think back, uh, I've been an extension 25 years, and and back when I started, uh, scientific communication really had about two levels. One was in scientific journals. And then after that, we kind of struggled to convey our science in, in the popular press in written form, and that was pretty much it. Uh, uh, you'd occasionally have, uh, for instance, some, some radio stuff, uh, you know, particularly us that deal in agriculture. There, of course, was a, a large network of farm broadcasters. But they pretty well took care of what they wanted and then reached out to us to, to get that. It wasn't so much that we were going to them uh, with content, so we're we're at a we're really at an interesting point with technology and what we're doing with communications.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, social media, videos, podcasts. There's there's so much out there that you can do to get your message out to to the end user, and it's easier for the end user to kind of access the information that you're trying to get out. So, so Paul, what did you do as an undergraduate? So undergraduate, I was at St. John's University uh, up in up near St. Cloud and I did uh, marketing um, as kind of my major and digital video as my minor. And I, I kind of like to start my story there because uh, I, I got an email uh, as a digital video minor about a film trip to Copenhagen, Denmark. And I, I thought, wow, uh, a free trip to Copenhagen, Denmark? I, I'm in. So I applied and it ended up being a documentary film trip to cover the Climate Change Conference, United Nations Climate Uh Change Conference. And that was kind of just a life-changing experience. We were interviewing all these scientists and politicians and authors and uh, put together a documentary about kind of solutions going forward. Um, And yeah, it was just, uh, it really got me interested in kind of this public controversy about climate change. And from there, I kind of uh, went into the GMO issue. Um, which is, I'm sure, I, all the agriculture listeners are are very familiar with. And I've i I'm just been really interested in kind of public controversies about science. Why, why some people believe st- certain things about science and some people don't, and trying trying to get the, the just the facts across. So you you've got
0: a really unique skill set, I think. You know, it's we will start talking about something really kind of high level as, as far as uh, science and with nutrient management or whatnot. And you've got a. Quick understanding. You know, it's, it's, it's always been kind of uh, uh, without a real big background in, in agronomy or soil science or something, it's been amazing to see how you can kind of take these concepts and, and, and push them into these new, th- uh, you know, formats, I guess, to make them more accessible to people.
1: And I've always appreciated the, the fact that you always make sure you clarify things with us if you don't quite have the, the perfect understanding of, uh, of what's going on. I think that's really essential.
2: Yeah, th- this has been a tougher position than normal for me because I'm I'm used to being a member of the public and communicating to members of the public about science. So when I'm interviewing scientists, I kind of have that perspective. But uh, for, for you guys, your target audience is farmers and ag professionals, and they have just a much higher level of expertise than than the general public does about these topics. So it's been interesting communicating between scientists and, and farmers and ag professionals as opposed to the general public. Um, but I feel like... Now, kind of a year in, I'm, I'm starting to get the hang of that.
1: And it's interesting. We've been doing, uh, obviously, it's it's uh, heading towards spring here. A lot of meetings over the winter, the amount of feedback we've been getting, particularly about the podcasts. I think, though, we've been getting a lot of positive feedback about the whole package of comprehensive offerings we've had uh, over the last, you know, whatever, year or two. Um, but... Um, I, I've, I've, I continue to be intrigued by our audience as far as what it, what it is they, they exactly desire as far as uh, outreach materials. It was somewhat my experience previously through early part of my extension career that because farmers tend to skew older, they also tended to skew a little bit lagging behind in terms of the technology that they wanted to to use. I mean, the the example I always say is, you know, when we first got email, you know, back like 2000, you know, and we were asking farmers to sign into meetings and give us their email address and they were opening their wallet and they were pulling out a strip of paper to, to transcribe their email address on the sign-in sheet. You know, my thinking was, well, this doesn't really matter if this guy doesn't know his email address. He isn't reading it either, you know, but, but I've always thought about that. I mean, where from your perspective, where do you think we're at as far as our target audience and engaging the various types of technology that we're using?
2: Yeah, I think I think a lot more people are on are actively online than than you would think nowadays. I, I know the Facebook audience, which has been one of our most successful ones, uh, skews older. Actually, I think uh, a, a lot of uh, younger people are moving away from Facebook and things like that. Um, but
1: Which is interesting because I'm 50 and I'm not on Facebook, but my 78-year-old dad
2: is. Wow, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, kind of a lot of what we, we've been doing on Facebook is uh, kind of doing these targeted posts where you're able to kind of put an ad out there to people who are interested in agronomy in Minnesota. So we're, we're able to kind of hone in on the audience we want, which has been great. Um, but kind of back to your question, I think um, I think we're we're kind of trying to diversify what we do, and you know the events do a great job of covering the audiences that aren't online, um, and you know we're doing handouts and things like that, and trying to trying to kind of diversify what we have. So we're doing our online stuff, the podcast, social media, the blog, all of that, email newsletter, um, but we're also kind of trying to go for those more traditional audiences as well.
0: Yeah, and, I, and one of the first time ever, I guess, this winter for us doing kind of a webinar series, we had some pretty good response to that this year. So that's uh, something we'll be uh, probably investing in more as we move forward into the future.
1: Yeah, and it, 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 we're also at kind of an interesting place in terms of uh, where we're at with technology as far as what it means going forward with respect to, I mean, there's been a lot of pushes like, well, use technology because it's cheaper or use technology because it's more efficient, you can reach more people, uh, and so forth. And, and, of course, my fallback was always, well, we need to use technology as our audience wants it. Uh, but uh, as we're sitting here today sort of pondering uh, um, travel restrictions related to coronavirus and so forth, uh, you know, the, it's an intriguing question of, uh, are we going to be forced into some of this technology because we're not going to be doing as much face-to-face, at least in the near term, uh, until this thing gets resolved? I don't know, Events like that can actually be a watershed moment in where we go with some of these things.
0: I guess the bright side there, Brad, is that uh, because of some of the work that's been then done, you know, some of the foundational stuff that Paul has set up and, and that we've been kind of as a team collectively working on, we kind of have the track record and we've got the ability there. So I, you know, if, if push comes to shove, We'll be able to continue some of the the same kind of uh outreach that we've been doing uh and probably with a greater emphasis on some of this distance uh, education and some of our uh, podcasting and things like that yeah
1: i, I know uh for those you know again a little bit of internal inside uh, pool here but uh you know, we just had our uh, end of the year, beginning of the year self-evaluations and performance reviews and that. And, and so we start pulling numbers down for some of the things that we did. And it's, it's really amazing how many people we reach with some of the technology versus when you start adding up the numbers. In I mean, an in-person workshop, I and mean, let's face it, uh, you know, a great in-person workshop would have 100 people at it. You do a podcast and you get in the thousands, uh, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist uh, to figure out the efficiency
0: of that. Yeah, no doubt. So, Paul, you mentioned uh, uh, controversy and some of your early career was around controversy. I imagine some of that kind of carries forward into into some of the issues we're facing right now with agriculture. You, you want to speak to any of that or...?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with all of these issues, it's really about kind of bal- balancing many different people's perspectives and, and tra- trying to come up with a path that uh, everyone can be happy with. And, and I think that's what i found with uh, agriculture as well and these nutrient issues. You know, there's the there's the water issue and then there's, uh, you know, production. And, you know, we we when I look at agriculture, you know, that, I, I like that concept that Jeff Fetch and uh, uh, Jeff Coulter have been researching kind of sustainable intensification. You know, we we can't uh, switch to practices that are going to reduce the the production that we're putting out because that's going to require more land in order to feed the same amount of population. So um, when I when I look at agric- agriculture, I think we need to find ways to f- kind of these win-win situations where we're we're able to kind of produce more and uh, reduce our impact on the environment.
1: And our audience, uh, when we when we start going to you know, putting things out there on the internet, the, we've got a, a much, probably a much wider spectrum as far as their personal uh, beliefs and, and attitudes versus the people who are literally coming, showing up in person at a meeting. Um, so, from your standpoint as a professional, how do we balance when you get uh, when we get feedback and comments that you say, well, this one's kind of out on the fringe versus, well, this is something you have to take seriously.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's that's one of the the dark sides of the internet is you get a lot of a lot of people kind of trolling, as they say, and you you kind of have to decide which battles to fight, and and I think that's kind of a, a big thing. Is is you can tell when someone's meaningfully engaging when they're asking questions when they're um, kind of trying to make points and uh, in a evidence based manner, but uh, if if they're just kind of trying to to goad you into a fight, I think that's kind of where you, you should probably just hold off and not not even uh, engage.
1: Well, one of the other issues that's kind of occurred to me, and, and this is, I, mean, I think this is just human nature, and it doesn't even necessarily pertain to our offerings, but uh, people also kind of have the tendency to hear what they want to hear, uh, which uh, I think we always have to be very thoughtful with what we put out there to make sure that even though they're selectively hearing, you know, something to support or to get them riled up, in some cases, um, that the content is is all
0: there, uh, even if they didn't necessarily engage it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the things we've talked about, uh, there's kind of this 24-hour rule. You know, I know social right. media and things move real fast, but oftentimes, if if there's something kind of inflammatory, you should take a take a couple breaths and. Kind of tune out for a little bit and then come revisit it before you decide uh, if you're going to respond and how you're going to respond. You know, if someone does say something really inflammatory, I know I've I've seen some of that out there. So, yeah. So so Paul, why don't you tell us
1: uh, a little bit about uh, uh, the probably the the broad spectrum or the package of the types of things that you work with from communication standpoint?
2: Yeah, so kind of back to what Ryan was saying, we have a really good kind of infrastructure in place. Uh, we've got this editorial calendar, so we're planning. We're trying to do a post per week, um, whether, whether that's a blog, a video, um, or a podcast episode. Um, and so that, those are kind of our three main um, areas of, of medium. Um, and so, yeah, the, the blog posts have been a, a great way to get quick information out there, to summarize kind of a research project, um, to kind of address seasonal topics. The videos we're trying to go up more in depth you know if, if we have a big body of research on a certain subject and we can communicate it in an effective way to reach a larger audience I think that's where the videos come into play and the podcasts are kind of even even a deeper dive if you want to really kind of dive into a, a, a topic um, And so kind of th- those are our main three. We've got the Minnesota crop news email alerts. Uh, you can sign up for those on our on our website, um, to get all of these blog posts and, and so on, right directly to your email. Um, yeah, social media, Facebook and Twitter are big, uh, big ways to, to, uh, access our, our information. So how much of the, uh, how much of
1: the Facebook and the Twitter is actually communicating information and how much of it is using to promote or steer people towards the other products?
2: Yeah, it's mostly, I, I, I use them kind of to share what we're doing and what, all of you guys are doing. Um, so, if if you do something that's not related to to this, uh, to my efforts, I'm I'm trying to share it on there as well, kind of just to to promote what you guys are doing and get get uh, more people listening and watching and reading those kind of things.
1: Well, I think that's great too because a lot of the things that we do in the media. Um, ends up being a little bit regional in nature, and or or segmented audience. For instance, I know uh, uh, you just put out a a, a a retweet last night of the um, the fieldwork podcast that I'd done with American Public Media. You know, but but I think we realize American Public Media, National Public Radio, has kind of got its its target audience, and that doesn't completely overlap with our target audience, and so. Um, without that prompting, they may never find those types of products. I think that's very valuable.
2: Yeah, and I think Twitter is a great area where a lot of these different factions are, are kind of coming together and interacting in productive ways. You know, you've got the soil health area, you've got the kind of production ag- area, and all, all of these kind of uh, these groups are coming together and talking in, in productive ways, which is good to see.
0: I get the sense that there is some great kind of synergism there with, you know, if your audience is more over here in the, the soil health side and all of a sudden there's something that's uh, nutrient management and uh, uh, maybe cover crop related, like you promote that and all of a sudden they kind of pick up on it and promote it to their audience and you kind of start bringing people into the fold that might not have been part of, of your traditional audience. They've been, they would have been more focused or tuned in on a particular issue. And it does kind of Allow for some of that cross pollination, I think, and, and sharing of some of the information. It's been interesting to look. I don't know if we've got any good data on uh, how exactly that's happened and how much more uh, viewership and things you've you've had because of some of that, but uh, it is interesting nonetheless. That that's
1: an interesting uh, an interesting point, and and I don't even know, Paul. I mean, we've got numbers as far as how many downloads we get, but it's always a bit of a challenge. It's always been a challenge uh, in extension when you put information out in the media to try and figure out how many people actually engaged it and used it and so forth. I don't, I don't know if you've got any great insights on that either, but uh, we, we certainly get a lot of feedback, uh, positive feedback and support for the things we do in that arena, but as far as really tracking down how many people did or changed what, it's it's difficult.
2: Yeah, well, one one advantage that uh, this group has is that they, the, my position is funded by the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, which provides us with a lot of funds for um, these videos and the podcast, and also kind of the ad buys that I've been doing to, to kind of reach a wider audience. So I think we we reach more people through that um, than we would otherwise. So I, I think we're you know reaching fifty to seventy thousand people a year probably. Um, with blog posts and videos and podcast episodes combined Um, so it's it's good to see uh, kind of high numbers of engagement
1: Yeah, and that's interesting you know we and Ryan and I were talking about this actually before you came that uh, we get a lot of feedback on this podcast that we're actually picked up by a lot of extension professionals in other states and so we kind of felt this topic was kind of interesting to that audience um, and so uh, it's it's difficult to ever really know just how far you ever went I mean we've got uh, this again gets a little bit of uh, you know the inside pool here but uh you know, we, we, we've got uh, the responsibility also of, of doing professional service. And so the extent to which that you're, you're contributing to your profession and helping other professionals to be better, um, that's kind of important from our standpoint too. So uh, even though that's not a primary objective of the, some of the things we do, uh, I think it's kind of a neat uh, um, add-on, I should guess, or, or an outcome
0: that we maybe weren't expecting. De- definitely. I mean, some of the biggest uh, learning opportunities we ever have, Brad, I think, is when uh, we have our national convention where you get the chance to, to if you get to go uh, meet with other educators that are doing, uh, I'll call it similar work, but seeing what their approach is and how uh, they might have something that you could adopt, you know, although the technical matter might be widely different, Uh we can kind of sometimes use those same approaches. So it's interesting to have those opportunities to feedback. I know we've worked pretty closely with some of our counterparts in Iowa and Wisconsin to have these uh, uh, informal kind of meetings or conference calls where we kind of discuss issues that the states are seeing and approaches uh, that we're using to, to cover some of these issues. And so it's, it's definitely a, a value, I think. So th- there's another
1: aspect of this, Paul. I wanted to ask you about because I was curious about your perspective. And I mentioned the uh, the retweet, uh, repost of the uh, fieldwork podcast. So we look at the the catalog of the things that we've done. You know, to what extent do we reuse that stuff? Uh, what's the what's kind of the strategy on when we retweet, when we repost, and and so forth, and and um, do we have any feeling for the second time around uh, if we're getting just as much, or or at some point do we get to the point everybody's seen it? I mean, thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I guess I'm entering kind of year two now of of this position. So I've been here for a year. So I, I'm going to have to start kind of grappling with the with those kind of uh, things. And uh, I, I guess last year when I was first starting out, I I was using a lot of what had come before. Um, but now we're kind of putting out so much. I I feel like I don't want to inundate our audience with too much stuff um but i I, I do think that if you guys have things that you think you know this is a seasonal topic and there are conditions out there that are that need to be addressed right now let's put out a post that we did last year on this subject because it's still relevant i think i think that's a good way to go
1: well at least the nice thing about the written stuff is you can pull it back out and you can tweak it if it needs if you if you dated something in it without a lot of effort you can just kind of change it to uh Reflect the current stuff. Unfortunately, with the uh, the podcast stuff, that's not always the case. I I mentioned uh, uh, dealing with coronavirus uh, in
0: two or three years. That may not be something that uh, hopefully that's not even something. You know, hopefully, maybe. it becomes a thing of the past. But uh, yeah, I can see repurposing digital content will be difficult over a longer period of time. I do think there's some neat things with uh, you know if you look at some of the the online education things that we can do and assemble. Utilizing some of the videos and things that you've produced. There's obviously a a Clear fit there to repurpose something into into that kind of content and I'm interested to see how that develops moving forward. I know that's going to be a a bigger uh, line of effort for us moving forward to kind of uh, Create some opportunities for people to engage online and uh, and do some additional learning and see some of our resources in kind of a more organized sort of format so Well, and and when we
1: look at uh, the, again, back to the comprehensive package of types of products and offerings that we have, um, definitely a hierarchy in terms of what takes a lot of our time and resources. And and I know, know, I think a lot of people think of uh, video production as really being like the gold standard. That's what we'd really like. But uh, frankly, I think there's a lot of limitations to to video uh, compared to some of the other forms that we do that actually make it a significant drawback. I know we've had some feedback recently with some of the videos we've done and how great they were, and we should really be doing a lot more of them. But but uh, that's easy e- much more easily said than done.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work, and and I have noticed. Um, you know, I, we were talking about this a little bit before. Are, are farmers and ag professionals consuming information differently than a general public audience? And I think they are consuming it in a lot of the same ways. I've noticed, you know, in my past kind of science news career, you know, it's really all about the headline and the, the feature image and kind of that that first paragraph. Um, try, you got to hook their attention and then go from there. And I, I think uh, that's true for the general public and, um, and agricultural audiences, and that's kind of one of the, my big emphasis. Emphases um, lately has been kind of trying to make sure that we're packaging the information in ways that grab users' attention early, so they actually click and, and will read it. Because if you don't, if you don't do that first step, then what's the point of having a great, uh, great piece of content?
1: Well, I and I think beyond that, the other first impression is something we can control but um, to an extent, it really doesn't even reflect on the content and that just simply is with video. Uh, If they're too long, people won't watch them. They'll look at how long the thing is and they'll either click it or they'll say, well, 10 minutes, I'm not gonna watch that.
0: There's a time and a place for video and I think a good example of a really good fit for for video is something you guys recently did with the urea Mm -hmm. uh, topic. I mean, people are looking for information on urea if they happen to Google that or search it somehow on the internet. Uh, you know they'll probably drop on that or at least close to that and and it does kind of give you some definitive guidelines on fall urea in Minnesota and it's a perfect example of how you've got a real specific topic and you come and you deliver a real concise message around the topic and it answers questions in a quick kind of concise manner. Well, the interesting thing with doing video,
1: I think about the one I did uh, last year, and we're getting gearing up to do another one here fairly soon with me, is how, because of the time constraint, how it forces you to be so concise with your messages. Because you write out what the points you want to, cover, that you think you're important. And then you realize this is twice the length as it can be. And now you've got to start taking a pencil to these things uh, and say, well, I guess I don't really need to say this. And I guess I really don't need to say this. And, and pretty soon, you're down to just like the bare bones talking points. And um, it's really, even though the, 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 well, video, there's obviously a lot of similarities between doing video and live television live television or, or taped interviews on TV, uh, very similar things. Uh, in that um, you have to just be so concise. The time is so precious versus podcast and radio is very similar. Typically, we do a lot of radio interviews, and those typically will just run, you know. But uh, you do a TV interview, and I I just did one yesterday uh, preceding a speaking uh, engagement that I had at a crops day, and the person doing the interviewing kept asking me more and more questions, and I kept thinking to myself, you're going to edit this down and you're going to take about 15 or 20 seconds. All I really want to give you for tape is what I really want to get across. I don't want to keep answering these questions They'll pick the because thing. you're going yeah. to pick something that's maybe less I mean, I didn't say anything that I didn't want to say, but you're not necessarily going to pick what I think is the most important part, you know, and, but at least with the videos, we can kind of control that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and I've been trying to keep the videos under five minutes and kind of keep them engaging with lots of, good footage and graphics. And um, I, another thing I like to do is kind of layer the information. So start with kind of those basic bare bones points and then kind of go deeper from there and then provide options at the end, you know, for the, for the fall urea video, I added on that blog post, um, you know, a link to the nitrogen management podcast we did recently, a link to our nitrogen website page, um, a link to one of Jeff Fetch's recent blog posts on nitrogen. So I think those are the kind of ways that we can uh, kind of provide provide the or grab people's attention and then provide kind of as much information as whoever wants to consume it will consume it
0: additional resources so to speak yeah Yeah. and i think even on
1: the highest level you know we went to having an online training for nitrogen smart and we've been funded now by the corn growers to do a online version of the first advanced nitrogen smart which is using manure as a fertilizer source um, that's probably the, the the highest level then of where we're going to be at where we're actually offering full-blown courses and trainings online uh, maybe a little little beyond the scope of what you do but uh, it's going to end up fitting in the whole package in the long run
0: yeah so thinking back Paul across the past year um, what sticks out in your mind is, uh, your most favorite thing, or, you know, maybe the thing you're most proud of or, or whatnot, not to put you on the spot or anything. Yeah, no,
2: that's a good question. I think, uh, kind of getting out, uh, in the field with Brad and others and getting photos and videos for these, for these video projects has been a lot of fun, kind of actually getting out and talking to farmers and ag professionals and seeing, um, seeing crops and, and, uh, agricultural activities going on. Um, and yeah, I think that falluria video I recently did was probably my my favorite uh, so far. I think it turned out really well, and it's gotten a great response. So it's good to good. see. Good.
0: Well, it's yeah. glad to hear. We really appreciate having you on the team. And yeah, anything else you guys want to talk about today? No, I don't
1: That's think so. I think we got people almost pounding on the pounding door on, to get on the door into to get, into get, into get in the room here. All so. right.
2: Yeah. I, I guess one thing to quickly mention is you know, we've got the people pounding on the door. The nitrogen management group. Um, we've got our our quarterly meeting, and I think uh, one of the things I've been really impressed this year has been the level of engagement from this group. Uh, the educators and specialists and researchers have, have done uh, a lot of hard work uh, communicating their work on top of the events they already do and the research they already do, and I've really appreciated that. So Yeah, yeah we've
1: kind of talked about that. The nutrient management group really is kind of high-functioning right now, mainly, if for no other reason, because everybody really likes each other and we've all been around long enough. We all just fit together as a team. Everybody's got their role and we all do it and we all trust each other to do our roles and and that's allowed us really
0: to be productive. All right well thanks Paul and thanks for listening out there. Uh, This is another installment of the Gopher Coffee Shop podcast.